Happy Mother's Day, and welcome to the Metropolitan Baptist Church in Brooklyn. I'm Pastor Chris Gardner, and I want to welcome you to worship with us on this Lord's Day. May the love of God flow through your hearts as we celebrate not only our mothers, but we get to celebrate today our Heavenly Father. And as you prepare for the service, I want to encourage you to have your Bibles open to Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. We're going to be sharing from the English Standard Version. Um, you can use whatever Bible that you have. We encourage you to invite your family and your friends to join with us as we study the Word of God today. So let's join together and see what God is doing through the announcements about the ministries of Metropolitan. And then as we join with the worship team in a celebration of song. Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading is found in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in this day, Lord Father. We thank you, Lord, for your word that has been um, presented before us, Lord Lord. We ask the Lord, Father, that it be a guide into our lives um, during this t trying times in this pandemic, oh Lord. We uh, have been uh, struggling, Lord, but your word is a light and a lamp into our feet, oh Lord. Let the word that is uh, brought before us and taught today, Lord Father, by a pastor, Lord, um, be something that is uplifting for us, O oh God. Use it to guide us throughout this week, O oh Lord, and throughout our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Mother's Day. For those of us whose mothers have passed on into eternity, we can still say Happy Mother's Day because they gave birth to us and they raised us. For those mothers who were Christians, whether they're alive today or they passed on into eternity we have a double reason for celebrating this day for they're not only our physical parents but they are our spiritual mothers as well but for all of us this coronavirus places a damper on this day plans have to be changed from the usual way that we usually celebrate mother's day those who often go with their mothers to a restaurant, they're going to have to maybe order in instead. Many will not be able to travel to their mothers if their mothers live in a different location. And if the mother is passed on into eternity, perhaps a trip to the cemetery, which might be the usual, is going to be canceled this year. But I encourage all of you this year to look beyond those disappointments and to find rest in the sovereignty of God, even during this pandemic. Can you truly say today, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. 
Can you see that God's hand is at work in your life as he is overcoming the curse of sin and death and as he opens your eyes to see the things that are eternal? Our enemy, Satan, he desires to discourage us, to to overwhelm us with the storms of life so that we turn our eyes away from our Lord Jesus Christ and we become alarmed by the troubles that we face each day. Yet, it's in the midst of that desperation, in the midst of the hopelessness of humanity, that the very words that were read this morning from Romans chapter 5 speak to us with life and hope. And that's why the apostle wrote back in chapter 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The gospel power, it is not hindered by the coronavirus. It is not hindered by any disaster in our life because it comes from the eternal God who holds all things in his powerful and gracious hand. And so our theme from this passage states that the heart of the gospel flows out of God's eternal love that brings to fruition his plans from eternity past to the eternity future. That everything that God planned before the foundations of the world were even set in place. He is working that out even now in your life and in mine. And will bring it to completion on that final day. When we are gathered together with him for all of eternity. I want to ask those of you who are parents. Have you ever said about one or more of your children... He or she is impossible. I think I probably said that. Well, not about my children because um, they're perfect or they think they are. Uh, No, truly though, there are times when we become frustrated in our interaction, whether it's with our children or maybe it was someone else. Maybe it was a coworker or a neighbor. Maybe it's even a pastor. But what did you mean by that when you said, they're impossible? You really didn't mean that the person was impossible in everything, but that the interaction that you were having with them at that particular moment in time made them difficult to handle or difficult to understand. Well, the word impossible, of course, has many meanings. But its truest meaning is that something cannot happen. Or something cannot be changed. It is impossible, for instance, for someone to be in the light and in the dark at the same time, at the same moment of time. It is impossible for something to exist and not exist at the same moment in time. It is impossible, the scripture says, for God to sin, to lie. We've seen in our study of Romans something else, though, that's impossible. It is impossible for any human being, through any effort of their own, to be in a right relationship with God. Impossible for them to be, you, me, anyone, to be in a right relationship with God. Notice how our text reveals that truth by explaining what it means for us to be powerless. A sharp contrast is drawn between the gospel as the power of God for salvation and the powerlessness or the inability 
of any human being to have a right relationship with God. We read in verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Weak. Helpless. Powerless. You know, I can relate to that. I spent eight weeks with this coronavirus. And by the time I came out of the, the hospital and out of rehab, I was weak. And there were things that I used to be able to do that are now impossible for me to do. I am too weak. I am too powerless to be able to accomplish those things. For instance, our lawn here at the church, it needed to be mowed. Normally, I could hop out there, grab that lawnmower, zip through. I could do it with one hand tied behind my back. Uh, that's because the lawnmower is self-propelled. I, I could do that in the past. But right now, if I attempted to do that, I would collapse on that first run. I am powerless when it comes to that. Thankfully, Brother Tony came over and he got the lawnmower out and he did it. You know, the scripture makes it quite clear that for any human being to have a right relationship with God, to do so by their own efforts is an impossibility. Everyone is weak. Everyone is helpless. Everyone is powerless. You know, many people don't believe that. Most people think that there is some good in every human being. You know, that comes out in our movies. Beauty and the Beast. It implies that the beast in us can be overcome if someone just loves us and has compassion on us. The frog was once a prince who just needed to learn humility before he could be kissed by the princess and come back to being a prince. <clears throat> the Hulk has a Bruce Banner living within. You see, according to that thinking, everyone has a good, beneficial part of who they are. But God has a very different perspective. In Romans 8, the passage our church is memorizing this year, we read that the mind of a human being is hostile to God. That we cannot submit to God's law. Jesus stated in John 3 that it's impossible for anyone to enter into the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're told that the natural mind, that is a mind without God's spirit within it, the natural mind cannot understand the things of God. And why? Well, ultimately because in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, that we are dead to God in our spiritual life. Or, as verse 6 in our text says, we are weakless, we are helpless, we are powerless. But what's the alternative? Think about what it meant when you said he or she is impossible. You meant that your relationship with that person, at least at that particular moment or on that particular topic, that your mind could not be reconciled with that other person's mind. It would take a miracle 
for that to happen. You consider yourself to be powerless to change that situation. Impossible. But when we get to that kind of impasse, generally, we recognize that we need some kind of outside help. In the case of our relationship with God, we need someone who has that power. We need someone who can take the sinful brokenness of our lives and bring God's pure and perfect requirements together in such a way that we can restore our relationship with God. Now that person would have to be more than just a priest, more than a preacher, more than some kind of a guru, because we all have our own problems. The only a perfect person would be able to be accepted by God, well, at the same place, being able to help us through in that relationship. So I want you to notice then what it means to be perfect. See, God has established that as the standard for entering into heaven. In Matthew 5, Jesus stated that you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Wow, that's something incredible. But it's also an impossibility. And verse 7 and 8 indicates that for us. It says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I don't have to emphasize so much what it means for us to be sinners. If you've been following our study of the book of Romans, we've spent a lot of time talking about chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3 about what it means to be a sinner. You know what it means when we say that we're separated from God, that every human heart is in rebellion against God. The reality is there is no Bruce Banner in the hulk of our bestiality. There is no prince hidden in our frog. No master can be found in the beast. God sees right straight through the thoughts and the intents of our heart. And he knows our rebellious spirit. Our self-focused thoughts and our hostility towards any God who would try to force us to be what he wants us to be. To change our truly beastly heart. As a result, on the tip of every tongue is the cry, crucify him, crucify him. Who would die for such enemies like that? Even altruistic heroes like those firemen who climbed those stairs into the Twin Towers in an attempt to save perfect strangers that they didn't even know. Even they would not have tried to save the lives of those who had purposely crashed those planes into the towers. A soldier might dive on a grenade to save his other soldiers around him. But he wouldn't do the same thing for an enemy soldier. A mother might run in front of a truck to save her child. But she would not do the same thing for a kid who would just beat her kid, her own son, into a pulp. And that's the love of God given to us in its perfection here. The Son of God came into this world in the flesh as a father's request. He took on himself the sins of the world there when he hung on the cross. He took the wretchedness of us on himself 
as he spoke those eternal words. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. No, those words weren't spoken for the individuals who were actually crucifying, for those Roman guards who were driving the nails into his hands and, and, and into his feet and putting the crown of thorns on his head. Those words were not spoken for them. Maybe that centurion came to believe and, and trust in him, the one that, that stood at the foot of the cross and said, surely this, this is the Son of God. It, it could be that. But at the same time, that's not what Jesus was saying. Father, forgive the ones who have nailed me to the cross. Those words are spoken about the human race. They are spoken about the wretched human beings like you and like me, who would continue to deny Christ and rebel against God and reject him as the one who should be Lord and master of our lives. And that's what makes the love of God so incredible. The love of God in his perfection, given to us through the Son of God, who came into this world and at the Father's request, took our sin upon himself. The perfect Father, in perfect justice, required the death of the perfect Son of God. And he did so. So our Father's perfect and unswerving love could be revealed to the human world. So, while we were still rebels, while we were still blinded to the truth, while we were still powerless to live in any way that might please God, God showed his love to us through the death of Jesus, who came that our sins might be forgiven. What was the cost of that great love? I want you to notice what it means then for us to be pardoned. Not a pardon like General Flynn is receiving, or the lady who is set free in Texas, who spent a couple days in the jail because she had had her beauty salon opened. Now this is a pardon, a pardon of a lifetime of rebellion against our Creator. It is a pardon for our participation in the crucifixion of the Son of God who came in the flesh. And what does it take for that kind of a pardon? Well, remember, we were powerless. We were weak. We were helpless in our sinful nature. We were enemies of God. We were alienated from him. We were, as our text says, ungodly sinners. That's the state of every human being from the day that they're born until the day that they die. So how can that kind of treachery be pardoned and our sins forgiven? Well, the gospel alone has the power of God for salvation. That is what verse 9 shouts out to us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Remember that glorious term that we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks? The word justified? A legal declaration that you are truly and completely pardoned of everything that you've ever done against God. The record of your guilt is totally erased and is no longer to be found, or as the scripture says, removed as far as the east is from the west. 
Well, that's not what happens in this life when a record is sealed. You see, a juvenile who's committed a, 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 some kind of a crime, they may have their record sealed by the judge once they turn 18. But the record's still there. And for a person with the right clearance, they can still go in, look at that record, and see what you've done in your past life. But a pardon, pardon is different. A pardon is a complete wiping away of your past, an erasing of anything and everything that you've ever done that's a violation of the law. Well, when Jesus Christ died on that cross, he took the full and complete punishment for what we had done against God. Um, any person who would believe on him and would put their trust in him completely. God accepted the death of Jesus as, as the full punishment for your sin. So that by his blood, that is by his death, we who believe on Jesus Christ as our perfect sacrifice, as the one who took our place, we who believe in him can be declared justified. That is declared right, perfect before God without any record of anything that we had ever done against God. There really is no human equivalent to what that means for us. Some have used an illustration of a, a judge who is uh, a, a righteous and, and just judge. And his son has committed some kind of a, a crime. Maybe it's a, a crime of, of stealing. And so that son is brought before the judge. Now we know that wouldn't happen. The judge would have to recluse himself. But let's say that it did happen. And... The son is brought before the judge. Now, this is a just judge, which means that that judge has to mete out the punishment. And in this case, he meets out the full punishment. The highest level of what he could do against that young man standing before him. And he declares him guilty. And as he lays that uh, declaration on that son and, and declares how much it's going to cost, the bailiff then has to come, put the handcuffs on, and walk that young man out. But as the bailiff is preparing to do that, the judge steps away from his podium. He takes off his robes, and he goes down to the front. He pulls out his checkbook, and he pays the full price to cover what his son has done. Now, we could look at that and, and think, now that's an incredible story. That's a, a, a great thing. But that's not even close to what God has done for us. For it wasn't a son that God sent Jesus to die for. It was a sworn enemy. It was one who killed his son and declared that if he ever got free, he would kill the judge as well. He would kill God. That's what we are doing. This is not the story of a mother. A mother who gives up her job and her life to care for a son who was a wasteful son and had taken the money from the home, perhaps even stolen from his, his mother or his parents, and then in some drunken uh, driving accident, he is paralyzed. And the mother leaves her job, and she leaves everything that she has to care 
for that paralyzed son for the rest of his life. And we would look at that and we say, that's incredible. That a mother would do that, even though she had a son who was a wasteful son. And yet, that's not what God did. You see, instead of, of that story, this is an individual, a mother, whose husband and son had been killed purposefully by a driver who ran them over so that he could get their ATM card and he could wipe out that family's savings. Think about that. And then as he's fleeing from the police, he runs into a telephone pole and he is paralyzed for life. And the mother gives up everything to go care for him. No, that's not going to happen. And yet, that is what God did. God poured out his love on us who killed his son. And he allowed that son to be killed so that you and I could be pardoned. So that you and I could be forgiven. Is there any greater love than that? Is there any more incredible pardon? Any more costly sacrifice? But that's the power of the gospel. That's the power to take this powerless human being, this heart that is hard as stone, and to turn it to seek God and to seek God's pardon. This is an amazing biblical truth that we have seen today that God has loved us from eternity with such a powerful love that he sent his son to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be pardoned and so that we could have peace with God. You, you may have questions about what we've been talking about so far and what that means for you. If you contact us, you can have some of those questions answered. We have information that will answer some of the searching questions about life and about relationship with God. And if you need a Bible, you can request one by emailing us at metbaptist at outlook.com or by, emailing, or by mailing us at Metropolitan Baptist Church, 1624 84th Street, Brooklyn, New York, 11214. You can also listen to other messages and teachings by going to our website, www.metbaptist.com. Now let's rejoin our message that's in progress. What an incredible story that makes. If that were to happen in real life here on earth, either of those stories, a mother who cares for the one who killed her husband and her son, that would be on the media. I mean, that, that would be the closing story of, of every TV news program. But anyone who hears what God has done in pardoning us from our rebellion, anyone who grasps the immensity of what he has done should be overwhelmed by that impossible possibility. God has done what for any and every human was impossible because we were powerless. But that's not the end of the story. It's only the beginning. For as we learn what it means to be pardoned, 
I want you to notice how our text goes on to show what it means to be perfected. Perfected so that we can enter into heaven. Perfected so that we can stand before God without any sense of guilt or shame. You know, it's one thing to have our past erased. But what about the heart that made us into the sinners that we were? And that's what verse 10 speaks to so incredibly. It says, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. There's that phrase again that we've seen several times in this passage, much more. This is almost like those conversations where every person tells a story and the next person has to tell a story that stops that. And here in chapter 5, that's what seems to be happening with the Apostle Paul as he shares these great truths. Here's a truth, but much more than that, here's another truth. And even more, here's another truth. It's one thing to have our past erased. But now, much more. What's it mean for our lives to be so changed that we are being perfected to be like Christ? I want you mothers and fathers to consider something. Have you ever said or have you ever thought, why can't this child be like his sister or his brother? Oh yeah, that happens a lot in our families. We compare one child to another. You know, there's that black sheep in the family. Why can't that son, why can't that daughter be more like these children that we have? Anyone who's gone through school after an older brother or sister and had the same teachers that the older brother or sister had, and that older brother or sister was was excellent as a student, or maybe they were a great athlete. And that child that comes after them has to live constantly with those remarks that compare them to their perfect brother or sister. But let me put this another way. What about those of us who were not that perfect one? What about those of us who got into trouble and that our parents said, I wish you were like them. What about us? Maybe you got in with the wrong crowd. Was there a time that you ever wished that you were more like that brother or sister? That you did obey your parents more? That you lived a a better life? Most of us have experienced those kind of memories. Those things where we look at our past and say, Oh, man, I wish I could go back and change that. I wish I could do that all over again. But what if that were possible? Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3 that it was possible. When Nicodemus asked what it would take for him to enter into God's eternal kingdom... Jesus gave him a very simple answer. He said, it just takes you being born again. The answer was simple, but it confused Nicodemus. It's confused a lot of people since then. 
Nicodemus basically said, are you talking about reincarnation? Well, I'm sure that made Jesus smile a little bit, but he said, no, Nicodemus. There is a physical birth and there's a spiritual birth. That spiritual birth brings a new life into you. It brings a new power. It brings a changed heart, a changed mind. The things that you used to love, those things begin to fade away. And you begin to love new things. The things of God that you hated, you're now beginning to make sense to you. You must be born again. Jesus didn't tell him you had to be pardoned from your sins, though that was a part of it. That in itself would have been incredible. And we've seen that already here in our study of Romans chapter 5. Just how great that is. But even more is the power of the new birth. It's not just a chance to start over. It's not just a sort of reincarnation. Because you might make an even greater mess of your life if you were given a chance to start over. You might make even more mistakes. No, here's what verse 10 says. You have been pardoned through the death of Jesus Christ. But now you've received new life through Jesus Christ. As our memory verse, verses in Romans 8 continually tell us, we're in the Spirit because the Spirit of God belongs to us. The Spirit of God has come into us. The Spirit of God is dwelling in us. You are powerless to do anything to please God. And that's why you needed that pardon. Very, very important that we be justified, that we be pardoned, that we be forgiven. But now, you have also received the very life of Jesus Christ himself. He is at work in you. He is reorienting your heart and your mind through the power of his spirit dwelling in you. No wonder in this verse then that Paul says much more. Much more than being pardoned. Much more than being forgiven. Much more than being justified. The spirit of God is dwelling in us to bring forth the life of Jesus Christ. Mothers, I want you to think about your children. Even that good child. The Bible tells us that all of our children are enemies of God. In God's sight, it is just as impossible for that child that you think is the good child to stand in the presence of God as it is for that black sheep of the family. And that's why everyone needs a pardon. Both children need to be forgiven before God. But both children also need the power of God at work in them. They need that new life that comes through being born again. And then both children receive the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit as Jesus Christ works in them to make them what God wants them to be. And in the end, if we've been justified, then we'll be glorified. You see, if we've been born again by the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ and we belong to God, then the eternal wrath of God, that final day of judgment that the whole human race will eventually face, is no longer something that you or I will ever have to face. The very God who before the foundation of the world had set in 
place his eternal love so that you might be saved. That you might be his elect. The one who sent his son to die so that you and I could be pardoned. That same God is now our father. He is no longer our judge. He is our eternal father. And therefore, as a father, he is working in us through the Holy Spirit, by the power of Jesus Christ, working in you and working in me to conform us, to, to fashion us, to guide us so that we can live in the perfection of Jesus Christ. So that we can become like our older brother in the Lord. Which brings us to the final verse of this section. Here, what we see is what it means to be passionate. Yeah, that's right. What does it mean to be passionate? You know, those who have been part of Metropolitan know that we have a theme statement, a purpose statement for the church. And it says that Metropolitan exists to create a passionate pursuit of God's glory. And that's why we exist. And that's why I love the way verse 11 begins. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Do you get those three words? More than that. We've been seeing it all the way down through. Much more, much more, more than that. And now we come to that final conclusion. And what is it going to be? What is more than being pardoned? What is more than being justified before God? What is more that God's love poured out on, on us as Jesus died for those that God had set his love on before the foundation of the world. What could possibly be more than the Holy Spirit at work in us so that we could be conformed to the image of the Son? What more could there be than that the judgment in eternity when we would face God, that that is removed from us? What more could there possibly be than all of those things? More than that. You see, verse 2 tells us we're justified by faith. We have peace with God. We have a place in his family. Verse 3 begins, more than that, more than that, we get to understand why suffering comes to us. Something is greater than being pardoned. More than that, we are told that all of it happened because God wanted to set his love on us in eternity. And then it says much more in verse 9. Much more than that. And then verse 10, even more. And then this final culminating word. More than all of that. More than everything that we've been looking at here in chapter 5. More than all of that. What in the world could possibly top all of that? Well, imagine on this Mother's Day. Imagine that you have an estranged child that you haven't seen for 15 years. You haven't spoken to them. They haven't called you. You haven't called them. There's been no communication at all. And then on this Mother's Day, you receive a telephone call. Mom, I'm sorry. I have been wrong all of these years. I hated you. 
I told everyone that you are a horrible mother. But this morning, I woke up after having a dream last night. And in that dream, I saw myself. And I saw that it wasn't you, that it was me. That I had wanted to do bad things and you were trying to to help me. And instead, I threw you away. And I jumped over the cliff towards my own destruction. I was the one who rebelled as you tried to teach me how to live right. I got into drugs and I got into sex and I violated every principle that you had ever taught me. And I want you to know today that I am sorry. What mother would there be that in that moment, hearing those words, wouldn't begin to weep? And who is it that was a true mother who wouldn't say, I forgive you. And I want you to come home so that, so that we can be reconciled. So that, that we can be together and know the fullness of that love. And when that child would come home, after years of separation, what would you do? Would you stand at the door, looking out through that door, say, what have you done all these years? You better tell me all the things that you've done bad. Or would you throw a party? Would there be a great celebration? Wouldn't that child come into the home weeping with joy and the mother hug that child as they cried together in a joyous reunion? And that's what Paul says when he speaks those words more than that. You see, it's more than theological truths about justification. It's more than theological truths about what we would call sanctification, that changing of our heart by Jesus Christ. It's more about theological truths about glorification of of what the end times are going to be for us. It's more than theological truths. It's more than the verses that we memorize. More than all of that is a living relationship between the God that was once our enemy and now we've been reconciled with our Heavenly Father. Of the joy of the new life that's flowing in our veins, of the the reality of our pardon as it floods over our spirit, of the knowledge that God no longer hates us and we no longer hate Him, but He's prepared a table for us. It is knowing in the depths of our heart that that the very heavens themselves, that the the angels are celebrating all that God has done, throwing the biggest party in the history of the world because you who were once lost have been found. You who were once dead have been brought back to life. And that's why he ends all those great theological statements by saying there is something more. And that is that this is a reality, that it is a heart passion, that God is passionate for you and you have become passionate for him. And there's a love relationship that is overwhelming within us that will grow day by day until that final day when we sit down at the table as the bride of Christ 
and we celebrate our final ultimate reunion with him. No wonder John writes in John 3, 1 John 3, when he says that God has lavished his love on us, that we should be called children of God. Lavished his love on us. It's not just a theological truth. It becomes that internal reality. And we no longer have to question, well, I did this thing wrong today. I I sinned in this way. Is God going to now cast me out? But instead, we know he is our father. We know the love that he has bestowed upon us in such great depths that he sent his son. For God so loved his cosmos. God so loved what he created that he sent his one and only son that whoever would believe on him might have eternal life, be restored to a relationship with God and find that joy and peace that is eternal. And so I ask you, at the end of this message, do you have the assurance that you're born again? Do you know, not only that you believe on Jesus, but do you know that Jesus Christ ultimately and perfectly took your place on that cross so that you might be forgiven and that you might be reconciled to God, restored to a right relationship with him so you could have peace. Do you have that peace? You see, that's one of the indicators as to whether you're born again. Do you have peace with God? And do you know with assurance that you have a place with him for all of eternity. And as you've meditated on that and and know that the Holy Spirit of God is at work in you to change you, have you come to that place where you know the joy of a living relationship with God? Do you rest in confidence that God has saved you? That is, in the past, when you believed on Jesus Christ, that that was a saving work of God. Do you know that he is saving you? That his Holy Spirit is at work in you, transforming you and and changing you. Something we're going to see more in the next couple chapters in the book of Romans. And do you know that he will save you? He will save you from his wrath. As he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your eternal rest. If you don't know that, maybe you'll want to contact us so that we might share with you how you can know that truth. But even where you are, without me or anyone else, you can just simply cry out to God and say, God, I know that I've always thought I was a good person or maybe you know that you were a bad person. But because of what you did through sending Jesus to the cross, I can see that you're willing to forgive me and that you are willing to love me and to give me a new life. Would you forgive me today? Would you come into my life and change my heart so that I might love you and live for you? 
You can do that right in your home, right now. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what more is there than that you could forgive us, that you could give us your, your Holy Spirit to live in us, and that you could assure us that we will never face that day of judgment? What more could there be? Only this, that our hearts become inflamed, our hearts become passionate about you as we live in you and as we understand your grace, your mercy, and your love that is eternal. So we pray, Lord God, for those who are listening, that you would work in their hearts and open their eyes and grant them understanding so that they might believe and they might be saved. And that those who are your children might have that assurance to know that your love is an eternal love. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We begin by wishing our mothers a, a happy Mother's Day. We hope that you might have experienced God's love for you on this day. We also pray that you have gotten to know your Heavenly Father on this day. The one who wants you to know the perfection of his love for you. If you want to know more about the truths that we discussed today, please contact us at metbaptist.outlook.com or in the contact uh, section of our website. We don't often talk about money here at Metropolitan. Our church members are, are generally very generous. However, we're not meeting physically right now, so I'd like to remind you that the support of the ongoing ministry of this church requires your willingness to, to give. You can do so by going on our website, www.metbaptist.com. You can go on there and hit the Give uh, and follow the directions that are there. Or you can send in uh, money to Metropolitan Baptist Church, 1624 84th Street, Brooklyn, New York, 11214. Thank you for being with us today. And we ask God to bless you as a result. Amen.